Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation 14. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 20. And the title of today's message is, It Must Be Said. Perhaps you have individuals in your life that you're dealing with that you're thinking, well, if I said something to them about their bad behavior, about what they're doing, about the path they're on, it's really not going to change them, Brandon. I already know how they're going to respond. Uh, I'm just going to have to live with it. They're not going to change, Brandon. Even if I say something, I've tried everything. It won't work. I'm giving up. I'm not going to change their mind. The question you and I have to ask ourselves is this. Is that a reason enough to stay silent? If you think someone won't respond the way you think they should, is that enough to stay silent? Now, I know what you're saying. If you go on the geopolitical scene... Could we sit down and talk with Putin and say, we're going to change your mind, or we're going to change Nancy Pelosi's mind, or we're going to change ISIS's mind, or we're going to change Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority's mind? No, you're right. I probably would agree with you. We're not going to change Putin's mind about world domination. We're not going to change Kim Jong-un's mind. Maybe we'll scare him enough to stop, but as far as his mindset, maybe we probably won't. Or maybe Samantha B. or Jimmy Kimmel. Maybe we, can, maybe we can change their minds, maybe. No, I don't think so. They're too far gone, maybe. Or are they? What you're going to see in the book of Revelation now, we're in the midpoint of the tribulation. What I'd like you to do is I have a handout for you in your bulletin. And what I would like you to see is that we're at the middle of the tribulation, middle events of the tribulation. Have you got that? And if you go to the very bottom of the handout, It'll say seven mid-tribulation announcements, okay? And at the very bottom, and you have one, the failure of the counterfeit trinity's attempt to usurp the authority of God. Two, the proclamation of political Babylon. Three, the results of the approaching last seven judgments. Four, a final call to heed the gospel. Five, six, and seven are words of assurance and encouragement and comfort to post-raptured saints. And so we're looking at this point in time in chapter 14 of the seven mid-tribulational announcements. Now, here's what we're going to learn from God. You're going to see God send out his angels to finish up the Great Commission. And they're going to make pronouncements to what's called the earth dwellers. The earth dwellers is a technical term in the book of Revelation for those who are not coming back. They've crossed the line. And here's the thing is, if they have crossed the line, why is he telling them this? What's the point of warning them of this? What's the point of telling somebody that you think is not going to come back? Well, it comes back to the title of the message, It Must Be Said. And I'll give you the reasons after why things must be said, even if you know somebody's not coming back. It's not going to change their mind. It needs to be said, and there's several theological reasons for that. The warnings that you'll see on the backside of your page are the rest of the sealed judgments that are going to happen, the worst judgments in human history. 
And he's going to warn the earth dwellers about these judgments because what God is doing, he's extending grace and mercy by, by not only warning people, but he's, he started with preliminary judgments and then he's increased them and, in, and made them uh, like birth pains, bigger and bigger and bigger to where the point now is he's going to warn them that it's going to be the worst you've ever seen before. And so he's fair enough and gracious enough to tell the earth dwellers this is what's getting ready to go down, and he's warning them. So we'll come back to, should you have that difficult conversation with somebody that you know you should be having because they're on the wrong path or on the wrong behavior, should you have that conversation even if they're not going to change? We'll answer that at the end, okay? Let's go into the text then. Revelation 14, starting verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. The idea that another angel, there's pronouncements being made, and these angels now are sent out into the earth uh, at the midpoint of the tribulation, and they're flying in midair, in the midst of heaven, in the atmosphere. The idea is present tense. They're constantly flying for the last three and a half years of the tribulation around the globe, signaling the call, what he terms the everlasting gospel. So it's at this point, you must understand that God is now willing to use angels to get the gospel message out and to warn the inhabitants of the earth about what's going to happen. So you mean that the church is not going to finish the Great Commission? Yes, the church will not finish the Great Commission. The church will be raptured. Then the two witnesses and the 144,000 Jews, Jewish male virgins that we, we, we studied, will then carry the message of the gospel through the tribulation. The two witnesses are then killed. Elijah is also on the scene as well. And the 144,000 will live through the whole seven-year tribulation. But here's what starts happening. Because of the cataclysmic judgments that are coming and pummeling the earth, tidal waves, the world, uh, you know, there's blood everywhere in the waters. Massive earthquakes have shaken the whole planet, basically. There's been a lot of cosmic disturbances. And what's happened to a lot of people, if you can foresee this, is that it's landlocked them into areas that the 144,000 can't get to. They're stuck on islands. They're stuck in areas of the world that no one can get to. A human being cannot get to. And here's where I want you to see the grace of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's a loving and gracious and merciful God. So if a human being can't get to these people, he sends his angels to do it. And these angels will be orbiting the planet giving the pronouncement for three and a half years before it all goes down. Imagine how gracious that is, that God would even do that to make sure humanity, and knowing full well that most of humanity will be lost, is still willing to go to that length. And he's carrying what's called the everlasting gospel. We know what the gospel is. It means the good news. The simplicity of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But then you'll see the authors of the New Testament add additional information to it and call it by different names. For instance, even in the Old Testament, you go to Genesis chapter 3, you'll have what's called in Genesis 3.15 the proto-evangelium. The proto-evangelium. What that means is it's the first sign of good news. And the sign was this, 
that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That was the first good news after the fall. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first good news. Then you'll see in the New Testament the gospel of grace. And basically, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it's trying to give additional information that salvation is on the basis of grace. And then you'll hear the other term, gospel of Christ, in several passages in 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 1, 7, that'll talk about that it's the person and work of the Messiah that gets people saved. That's the emphasis there. And then you'll get into the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus will call it the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but that the kingdom is about to come. The thousand-year reign of Messiah. So it's the additional information attached to this. But this angel has what's called the everlasting gospel, which means that it's ageless and timeless. And its content will be given in this text. It is including the death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus is God and that he's Messiah and that people need to accept him. But it will add additional features that John will include into this message that the angel will come out and tell the world. We'll look at that in just a second. And then he goes on, if you go back to the text, to preach to those who dwell on the earth. There's the term earth dwellers, technical term, rebellious individuals that are not coming back. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That's the fourfold call of the Great Commission. And he's going to tell everybody on the planet. Why? Because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Here's the question. Because God is omniscient, does he know who is going to be saved and who isn't? Of course he does. But despite that knowledge, it doesn't determine whether they're going to be saved. He gives them their free will to make that decision, even though he knows they won't come. Some of them, the broad road will be taken by many. But he still gives the call, even if he knows they're not going to come. Did Jesus offer the kingdom to Israel when he first came? Absolutely. It was a bona fide offer, even though he knew they wouldn't come. So God is a gracious God. And I want you to keep remembering that because we're going to go into very terrible and awful judgments on humanity because of their rejection of his grace and mercy. So again, if you turn to Matthew 24... This is what we preached not only by the 144,000, but the angels as well. And the gospel of the kingdom, which is the kingdom is coming, will be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So, it's not the church that finishes. And I'm telling you what, guys, this is one of the biggest mistakes the church is making today. They think they're going to finish the Great Commission, and when they finish the Great Commission, then Jesus is going to come back. That's totally wrong. And a majority of churches teach this. It's nonsense. We don't finish the Great Commission. We started it. The church starts it, but we don't finish it up. Angels, believe it or not, finish it up. The 144,000 finish it up. Okay, so let's look at the content then of this gospel, this eternal gospel that is timeless from eternity past. What's the content? Well, verse 7. He goes, he's saying with a loud voice, and the idea of the angel, can, everyone can hear him. Everybody can see him. Let's stop right there before we get in. What do you think the earth dwellers will think they're seeing and hearing as they see a creature flying 
atmospherically around the earth. I have a pretty good hunch. They're going to say he's an alien. It's an E.T. It's an alien flying around. See, the world is set up to already believe that. But I think a lot of people will see an, an angel in full view and they will just say, they'll pass it off saying, that's an alien. Man, we're, we're being invaded by aliens. They won't even see the supernatural element of an angel. Anyway, what's the content of his message? Say in a loud voice, fear God. That's a command. It's a mental attitude to everybody. This is an internal gospel. You must fear God, have reverence, awe, respect for his sovereign authority. Contrasted with the Antichrist who's trying to have authority over the planet at that point in time. So the angel is trying to say, God's the authority, not the Antichrist. And give glory to him, praise and honor, because to him it's due, not the Antichrist. And the reason for these two commands, for the hour of his judgment has come. The judgment is the bold judgments that are about to ensue on the planet and then accompanying that is the second coming and the judgments associated with that. It's a warning that he's going to remove all unbelievers from the planet. And worship him as another command. That's the goal that God has intended for man to do is to worship him and worship him alone. That's the point. All the way back from Genesis to now. He doesn't want humanity worshiping themselves, worshiping idols, worshiping other gods, worshiping Satan, worshiping the Antichrist. So that's the whole point of that. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So now he, he, he goes into creation. He's the creator. He's the sovereign. He's the one who did it. Not Antichrist, not Satan. Creation, as you know, testifies to a maker, to an intelligent designer. And yet skeptics still want to pass that off as if it doesn't speak. The creation speaks every day that someone created it. An intelligent designer. We know that to be God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So wrapped into the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah is these other facets that are eternal. That God is sovereign. God is creator. God is going to judge unrighteousness because he is righteous. That's the encapsulation of the message. And basically it's this. Bottom line, he's telling the earth dwellers, make your decision now. I'm the creator. I'm the, the sustainer of things. I'm the savior. You either make a choice for me or you make a choice for Antichrist. There is no middle ground. I am drawing a line in the sand before everybody. And you must choose who you will serve. Then behind that, another angel comes behind in verse 8. The other angel, and says, and another angel followed, saying. And this is interesting, if you go back to the text. It's at verse 8, and another angel followed. It's the idea is, it's not just one. Now God is inserting a second angel going around the planet. So there's two angels now going around the planet encircling him constantly yelling out calling out so one is given the eternal gospel another angel is saying this he's saying babylon is fallen is fallen so twice emphasis and i think it has to do with the idea of ecclesiastical babylon and political babylon or commercial babylon so he goes babylon is fallen that great city 
So it's another pronouncement that humanity's anti-Bible system, anti-God system, Babylonianism, is now about to be destroyed with the seven bowl judgments that are about to be poured out. What is the Babylonian system? Is it with us today? Absolutely. The Babylonian system encompasses false religion, every false religion under the sun, Islam, Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, all that stuff. It's just all false religions. That's all straight from Babylon, okay? It encompasses all false political systems. It encompasses all false economic systems. So wrapped up in those things is a, a satanic system that was foisted on man going back to Genesis at we, what we know is the Tower of Babel. Right there is where all man-made religion, satanically inspired, came from. All the false political movements, all the false economic movements have come from. So, yes, communism, Marxism, it's all Babylonianism. All that stuff. All these false political systems, all economics, like Keynesian economics, false, that come from a Babylonian system. You ever wonder why? You think about this. The world, they're saying, is, is about to have economic collapse. There's a, an economic bubble happening in America that's about to burst, by the way. Do you ever wonder, like, the state of California, where do these people get their economic degrees? They can't run a state. They're running it right into the ground. They're creating Greece for us. We're going to be a welfare state in just a couple years. They, and, and it's like, are they dumb? Are they unintelligent? No, what they're doing is using a Babylonian system of economics. It doesn't work to have to spend your way out of debt. That just doesn't work biblically. That's not a biblical way of economics. The biblical economics is this. Catch this one. If you don't work, you don't eat. I didn't say it. Paul did. How would you like to apply that in Sacramento? Try that one on for size. What kind of system would you have here in California? The whole welfare system would be shut down. If you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah, mind you, there's people that, that can't work. Oh, I get that. And that's not what Paul was talking about. But see, you see the biblical economics are simple but yet profound. They're simple enough they will never get you in debt. They're simple enough they would never run a state into the ground like California. That's just a side note. But that's what we're talking about, Babylon. That's what, that's what everyone's getting involved in. And so what you're seeing is a desire for a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world economic system, a cashless one-world economic system. We've talked about that in Revelation 13. That's what's happening. It's not conspiracy anymore. It's happening. You can see it. That's what they want. They want a digital currency. They want a, no borders. Look what the debate is in America. No borders. That's Babylonianism. What does God desire? God desires individual nation states. He does not want transfers of major populations shifting to other parts of the world. If you read Deuteronomy 32, if you read Acts 17, God says, I've established the boundaries of the nations and I want people to stay in their nations that I put them in. It doesn't mean you can't cross over and, and immigrate into other countries. What it means is we cannot see what we're seeing in Europe. That's against the Bible, where you have masses of people coming out of the Middle East, taking over Europe. France will no longer exist anymore. It'll become Francistan. 
England will no longer exist. It will become Londonistan. Do you see what I'm talking about? God is against that. He wants language, culture, and borders. Individuals can cross over, but you can't have millions of people transplant themselves and put themselves in another area. It's against the Bible. And they're going to say, well, you're xenophobic, you're racist. I don't care. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. Call me whatever name you want. I'm willing to take that on. So I, I feel bad. God bless Trump for, for doing what he can. He's getting a lot of abuse for going against the global Babylonian system. I don't know if he knows it or not, but hang in there. I want to say pray for him because, my goodness, the globalists are unrelenting. It didn't just start now. It's been for, around for a long time. And you can actually see it in the architecture. Don't think Babylonian hasn't spread after the Tower of Babel. It's spread all over the globe. And I want you to see this in the architecture. As you know, this is where Babel was. This is where Antichrist will eventually have his headquarters, and this is where it will be destroyed. And so this angel is making this announcement, Babylon's going to be destroyed. God's going to put it back there and destroy it where it started. That's where it started, right here, Tower of Babel. Let me show you some pictures. If you go there today, you can have these structures that you'll see. This is actually where Abraham came from in Ur. This is Ur of the Chaldees. This is the ziggurats that are still there. This is what the Tower of Babel looked like. Let me show you some other pictures. Here's another picture from the side. Notice the pyramid structure with the long staircase. Again, this is in Ur. You can see that today. So when God confused the language, he spread humanity because he wanted them in individual nation states, not clumped up in one global government under one leader, Nimrod. He spread them out and said, I need you to have dominion and multiply. So he did it by changing the language. And so they took their languages. And now, interesting enough, when you go to places like the Mayans and the Aztecs, guess what kind of structures they had? that were extremely similar to the one you saw in Ur of the Chaldees. It's not a mistake. This is not an Aztec. This is Mayan. This is Aztec. Why do we see the same building structures in Central America? Because that's where a group that crossed the Bering Strait came down into North America and centered into Central America, South America, and built towers of Babel there to their gods. That's exactly what Nimrod was doing. Unto the gods, building these towers. This is in China. A similar tower is there, but obviously it's covered up with dirt. But underneath it is a similar shaped pyramid. This is in uh, Tibet. Do you notice the similar structure? There's similar structure. I think this is also deep into the jungles of Tibet. Notice it's similar structure. It's smaller, but it's a similar structure. And then here is another one. And I think this is in China somewhere. Notice Indonesia, here's Egypt, Mexico, Central America, Africa, Indonesia. How come we find the architecture of Babylon everywhere? Because it points to the Bible that the judgment happened there, and then they spread out and took that architecture and took the three elements I'm talking to you about. Babylonian economics, Babylonian political system, and Babylonian religion. It's spread all over the planet. So God is saying, I'm going to put it back where it started, and I'm going to crush it. I'm going to crush it where it started. Look what it says in the text. Because 
She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All nations mean all nations, and the, the wrath of her fornication is this. The wrath is coming from God for this fornication. It's using a sexual term that everybody in the world has slept with her. This is the harlot system that Satan created. The nations of the world. The UN right now is in bed with the harlot. The UN's crazy. They're anti-God, anti-everything. They're nuts. They're nutting a fruitcake. But why? Because they're practicing Babylonian practices, economics. And by the way, because they practice Babylonianism, they can't see straight. You notice how the UN hates Israel? Yeah. The Babylonian system hates anything God loves. It hates Israel. It gives them more more violations of, of human rights than any other nation on this planet. How could you do that to to Israel versus like Saudi Arabia or Iran or the Palestinians? How could you do that? Unless you hate them and it's a spiritual issue. Ah, yeah, it is a spiritual issue. So he's saying all humanity has done this and it's going to be doomed. It's doomed, fallen, fallen. It's all going to come down in the judgments. So to the next angel, now we have a third angel. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. And again, now two are encircling the planet, saying saying two different messages. Now a third angel has now enjoined them and is orbiting the planet, saying things. Can you imagine seeing angels orbiting the planet, calling out to all humanity in a voice that everybody can hear? Could you imagine that? Wow. And here's his proclamation. If anyone worships the beast, the Antichrist, and his image, the idol, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. So this angel is going around and he's going to say his message. And he's warning about taking the mark. We talked about the mark a couple weeks ago about the mark of the beast, the 666, the, the RFID, the chip, the implant. We talked about tracking system, can't buy or sell. If you don't remember that, familiarize yourself with reading Revelation 13 of what they're going to set up. The, the Babylonian system sets up a tracking device on every person on the planet. And you think, why does the Babylonian system have to do that? That's interesting. Because Satan is not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent, right? He can see us right now. He can see everybody on this planet, right? He's omnipresent. Satan is not omnipresent. So because he's unlike God, because he's a creature, he has to use a human system to track everybody. Whereas God just simply knows because he's omniscient. You see the difference between the creator and the creation? That's why he needs a system. Nonetheless, let's go to the text. And it says this, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. It means undiluted, no grace, no mercy if you take the mark of the beast. At this point, it's a midpoint of the tribulation. If someone takes the mark of the beast, they have reached a point of no return. They're not coming back. It's over. You're going to get the full dose of the seven bowls, and you're physically going to die. Then... He goes one step further. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Guess what that's a reference to? Hell. The lake of fire eventually. 
spiritual death. You're not only going to die physically by taking the mark, you're going to die spiritually by taking the mark. And you're going to be in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So you're, you're going to have witnesses there. Because I told you, angels, what are they doing? They're witnessing. They're watching. They're the watchers. They're going to witness there on the, in their court dates. And the judge will be there and the executioners will be there, usually the angels. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Now, to all the Jehovah Witnesses, to all the Seventh-day Adventists, to all the Mormons, to Rob Bell, to everyone who denies hell and the eternality of it, there is the quintessential verse right there that says hell is eternal. And guess what? It's fire and brimstone. There's no sugarcoating it. I wonder how a snowflake would take this passage. Oh, I just can't take that. I just, that's just so wrong. I, that there hurts my feelings. Huh. Well, I guess you couldn't take it then. You can't take that hot preaching from that angel, huh? You better go to Joel Osteen's church because he ain't going to warn you about hell and fire and brimstone, but the angel will. I got a question out there. Here's what the message the angels are preaching, who are the closest to God, obviously. And yet, look what the joy boys on TV are preaching. This one dude wraps himself in, in designer leather and preaches a soft-pedaled social gospel message. Forget it. Oh, Joseph Prince, that's his name. Wearing leather up there and, and preaching a soft message. Then you got a guy like Joel Olstein preaching a soft... I want to know what they do with this text. The angels preach fire and brimstone, hell, fire, and brimstone. You can't get any... any any harder preaching than what the angels are giving. I wonder what these angels, looking at these joy boys, think. What do you think the angels think about Joel Osteen? I'm sure they're shaking their head. they got to be thinking something. Because they would say, that ain't the message I preach. That, not this angel. Look at that. I want you just focus for a little bit. Look at what the American church preaches versus what the angels preach. If that ain't a wake-up call to every pastor in America who soft pedals that Jesus is a life enhancer, that Jesus is an addendum to your life, that Jesus can, can give you your best life now, that is not the message these angels are saying. They're saying, get right, turn, or burn, baby. Wow. You can't get more forceful than that text. That's the state of the church. And to add it, it says, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and receives the mark of his name. You do that. You have crossed the line. You're not coming back home. It's so here, let's be very clear. A lot of people that don't know this text very well think that, well, if the rapture happens, you're not going to get a second chance. That's not true. If the rapture happens, you will get plenty of chances in the tribulation period by the preaching 144,000, the two witnesses, angels. But at the midpoint, that's where God will draw a line in the tribulation. It's at the midpoint, the three and a half year mark. And at that point, Antichrist is putting it out there too. He's making his challenge. Worship me, take my mark. And now God is counteracting that saying, 
Don't take his mark or you're going to go to hell. It's a battle between God and Satan between humanity, with humanity in the middle of this. So it's at the midpoint, let's be real clear, when you can cross that line. Again, we won't be here for that. We'll be raptured. But the, the tribulation people will have to make that decision. If they make a decision to accept God, they'll probably physically die because of, of the, the Antichrist persecution. But they won't die a second death. They accept the Antichrist. God says you're going to physically die in the judgments, and then you're going to die spiritually in hell forever and ever and ever. No annihilation. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And you will feel the lava. You will feel the smoke or smell the smoke. You will feel the fire on your resurrected body forever and ever and ever and ever. And it won't end. Is that not the most sobering thing you could possibly hear from the text? That's why we need Jesus. He is a savior, not a life enhancer. He is saving us from the flames of hell. That's what he's about. That's the real Jesus of the Bible. Not the Joel Osteen type. Not the ones that make you healthy and wealthy and and prestigious and you drive on a Rolls Royce like Benny Hinn purports. It is the Jesus who saves you from the flames of hell and that's it. Now here's the deal. Does it just stop there? No, Paul adds another element and I'm going to bring it to your attention because it gets worse. You find this in 2 Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Notice this. They did not receive the love of the truth in the tribulation. They didn't get the warnings. They didn't get the angel pronouncements, 144,000, the two witnesses, all that, that they might be saved. And for this reason, because they refuse to acknowledge the truth, come to get saved, God will send them a strong delusion, an intoxication, that they should believe the lie. What's the lie? That Antichrist is God. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you see what God does? He doesn't just say, okay, make a decision. Make a decision, and I'm going to push you into it. I'm going to grease the skids. Because the penalty for denying the angelic witness, the penalty for denying 144,000, the penalty for denying the two witnesses, the penalty for denying Elijah on the scene, for denying all the supernatural activities, the penalty for seeing heaven open and seeing Jesus on the throne, the penalty for seeing that much supernatural activity, I'm going to grease the skids once you make the decision, and I'm going to seal you in your decision. And I'm going to make you crazy. I'm going to send you a deluded mind that you will believe the lie. You're not coming back when you make that decision. Wow! It's that tough? It's that tough. But why? I have showed you through the book of Revelation, God has been offering grace. God has been offering mercy. He's telling through angels, repent, get right, stop. Don't go on this path. Quit. Don't. But at some point, grace stops. At some point, mercy stops and says, that's enough. End of story. I've told you all you need to know. You're finished. Make your decision now. You're going to hell. And that's how God has to deal with it eventually. That's tough. But that is, believe it or not, love. 
How so? He's giving them what they want. They're free creatures. He's allowing them to make a decision to go to hell. Remember, the gates of hell, as as C.S. Lewis once said, are locked from the inside. They put themselves there. Some application before we go from this text. It's a tough text. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. What needs to be said, it must be said. It must be said. A church like ours, we have to say things that make people uncomfortable. We have to say, because you know what? No one else is. They can go down the road and they're getting a soft pedal. You feel good. You're great. You, here's five golden stars. Thumbs up, man. You're great. And I'm not saying we're going to beat people up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we're going to preach the text as it is. And that's not palatable anymore. It's just simply not palatable. They can't take it. They walk up. That's doom and gloom. That's too negative. Look, I'm just preaching the scriptures verse by verse. That's what it's saying. But it must be said. Somebody's got to say it. Somebody's going to be the designated sayer of it. And in your family, in your circle of influence, you're going to have to be the one who says it. Despite... If they don't listen to you, despite it, you're going to have to say it. Put it on record. Tell them this is the way the truth is. And you tell them in love. Remember this principle here, and I think I have it on screen. You cannot change anyone, but we can change the circumstances that can promote change. I can't change someone's heart, but I can change their environment around them. I can change my relationship with them. I can put consequences and limitations on them. And a lot of people won't do that. They think it's loving not to put consequences on people. It's extremely loving. That's what God does. God warns people. He ramp, he's ramping up the consequences and saying it's going to get worse. I'm going to turn up the heat. But what do we fear? What are we fearing? Why we don't say what we need to say? Well, we fear of losing the relationship. We fear being the object of anger. We fear being hurtful to people. We fear being perceived as bad. Do you think if you take the angel's message saying Babylon's destroyed, if you take the mark of the beast, you're going to go to hell. You think any of those angels worry about that? None of them. None of them worry about that. We're just trying to get the truth out. They're not worried about being perceived as bad. They don't even think like that. We do. And it comes down to also how do we talk to people? Now, we're not saying, you know, do a turn or burn thing on somebody. I I get that. I mean, the stakes are high right here, okay? Antichrist and mark of the beast and tribulation. Stakes are very high. I get it. That's typically, you don't want to do a turn and burn thing to your uncle that can't get his act straight, okay? But we tend to mess it up a little bit. We try to connect without truth. We have friendly conversations in which we avoid all disagreements. So we never confront the issue. We just want to be friendly. That's a mistake. And then we have truth without connection. Sometimes we tell the truth, but we have no connection. We have major conflict types of conversations that tear everybody and everything up. There's people that tell the truth, but I don't want to be friends with them. You know why? Because they have no grace. They'll just tell you you're wrong, and you stink, and they move on. Okay, thank you. That's not the way you talk to people. You have to season it with grace and truth at the same time. But let me tell you what a hard conversation does, okay? This is, this is what we're deriving from God real quick. It creates accountability and responsibility. The idea, and I've referenced this in Acts 20, and Acts 20 references Ezekiel 3. Paul said this, I have told you everything I know. I'm paraphrasing him in Acts 20. I've told you everything I know, he told told the church. 
I've told you from pillar to post, everything. And then he'll say this statement, I am innocent of anyone's blood. Now, why would he say that? Why did he bring in the issue of blood? Well, it's a reference to Ezekiel 3. It's a reference to the watchman on the wall. And it's a principle he's picking up and using in the New Testament, and it's a principle for you and I. Why do you and I have to say something to somebody even though they're not going to change? It's to relieve us of the accountability of not saying something. We are our brother's keeper. You just can't let people fly as they want. If they're responsible, we have to say something. And so the idea of Ezekiel 3, it tells the watcher on the wall, if you don't warn the people of the impending danger, I'm holding you accountable for not telling them. So Paul picked that up and he said, I am innocent of anyone's blood. I told you everything I needed to tell you. I didn't hold back. I told everybody what they needed to know. That's the attitude you and I have to have with people in our family, people we're friends with. We've got to tell them the straight scoop with love, with respect, with grace, but truth has got to be there. If we don't, and we see them on the path of the broad road of destruction, and we don't say anything, you and I will be held accountable for not telling them. We will not be innocent of their blood. If they get themselves caught in a dangerous situation, alternative lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, they won't stop, and we won't call them out on it, Shame on us. We are going to have to talk to Jesus about that one. He's going to say, hey, what did you do? Did you say anything? Well, I didn't want to be perceived Jesus as, 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 as unfriendly. I wanted to be a Christian nice guy. Nope, that didn't work. That didn't work. No, 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 no. You were supposed to talk to him. You're a watcher on the wall. You're supposed to tell him. That's part of the reason. The other thing is this. It creates a boundary and a limitation when you tell someone something. A boundary and a limitation. God is drawing a boundary line in this text, and saying, you don't get to straddle it and worship the Antichrist and worship me at the same time. Make a decision. It's called a boundary. It's called a limitation. When you tell somebody something, and it must be said, you're creating a boundary. Hey, dude, you're on the broad road to destruction. You can't come over anymore when you act like that, dude. You can't come over our house drunk like that. You can't be in an alternative lifestyle. You can't be doing that. It draws a boundary. No more. We're not putting up. We're not tolerating this. God does it. And it creates an opportunity for change, possibly, and the relationship. What do you mean? It creates an opportunity. Remember, some of the earth dwellers will actually get saved. Not all of them. But a handful of them, a minority of them, a remnant of the earth dwellers will get saved in this. And they won't take the mark. So we perhaps tell people because perhaps they might have a chance to change and they might just do that. They might have their come to Jesus moment and get saved and get off the path that they're on. We've got to give them a choice. And what God is doing by sending angels is giving humanity a choice in the matter. Make your decision, dude. You're free to choose. And the last one, it preserves the relationship when you say what needs to be said. What do you mean? See, 
when God sends his angels to tell humanity, this is the path you're on, you're going to go to hell if you don't stop, he is protecting a relationship because of the threat of the Antichrist. So bring it down to our level, Brandon. Love protects against threats to the relationship. Obviously, in the text, it's the Antichrist who's the threat to the relationship between humanity and God, right? Something's getting in the way of, of that relationship. They don't have one, but it's preventing them from having a relationship with God, right? And then when you, you deal with it in your own personal life, where you get the courage to tell somebody what must be said is that you are actually doing a loving thing by protecting your relationship with them and their relationship to you. Not only just giving them a chance to repent, but you're saying, look, if you keep going down this path, you're going to lose us. You're going to lose our fellowship. We can't follow you where you're going, dude. Do you want it to lose us? That's what, that's what love does. It protects against any threat against a relationship. And I'll end on this. God's doing this. And, and again, Israel will get saved through it. The nation of Israel, all of Israel will be saved. And, and, and many, many Gentiles, a remnant will get saved through all this by God issuing that grace and mercy. So it is possible at the end. Why should you say something even if you think no one's going to change? It's possible they could. It's possible that they will. So you've got to give them the chance. You've got to give them the opportunity. Because it could change their life. And the story I'll end with is a guy was um, in the Boy Scouts, and it wasn't like the Boy Scouts today where they're letting, you know, girls in the Boy Scouts and homosexuals in the Boy Scouts, homosexual scoutmasters and homosexual boys, by the way, in the Boy Scouts. It's just gone. But anyway, these are, he was talking about the days of when the Boy Scouts were the Boy Scouts. And he says he was, he was in the Boy Scouts, and you know how they earn their merit badges and stuff like that? And he was working to be an Eagle Scout. And, you, and if you guys know the concept of the Boy Scouts, you work all the way and you, and you hit 18. If you've done all your merits and all your works that you're supposed to do, you get the Eagle Scout level. That's kind of how the system goes. And so he was working on one of his merits, and he was off on a camping trip, a weekend trip with a scout master and the troop and everybody. And they were earning some type of rewards, and they were putting up their tents. Well, this guy was talking about... He goes, man, he goes, I was a teenager, and so I started making my friends laugh. I was cussing the air blue and just going off with my mouth. And he goes, I was a typical rebellious te- teenager just doing what I wanted to do and, and making my buddies laugh and stuff. And he goes, my scoutmaster stopped me and heard me and says, hey, come here. And all he said was this. He goes, you're too close. Don't mess this up. And it just sent a jolt through him. And he realized, you're right. And he said, he, it like reframed his mind. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I, I'm too close to becoming an Eagle Scout. I can't mess this up. And so he went back and he toned down his language as much as a teenager can, obviously. And he said, those little six words changed his life. Because he saw that he was going to a life of rebellion and that scoutmaster said, hey, don't mess this up. You're too close. And it changed his direction of where he was going. Now he's a successful businessman. He's a Christian man. And, and he's doing well. But he goes, I don't think if that guy would have said anything that I would have changed. 
He goes, but those little words changed my whole life. And you think about that. He goes, when I reflect on what the guy was, what was he doing? He was giving me a word of warning, but he was giving me the freedom also to make a choice. And he was showing me that my actions were going to bring consequences to myself. You're going to lose it all if you keep this path going. And he says, I don't know if he knew it or not, but that guy was brilliant in what he said. You see, sometimes all it takes is for you and I to have enough guts, enough courage to tell somebody, hey, I love you, man, but dude, you're on the wrong path. You're going to destroy yourself if you stay on this path and you might lose the relationship you have with me. That might be the only thing you need to say to somebody to get their head screwed on straight. Maybe, maybe not. But our template is God. You can't go wrong by using this template. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.